Thank you, sir. Well, I'm Pastor Jeremy Paradowski, and I'm from Douglas, Wyoming. And uh, anybody ever been to Wyoming? Wow, like half the church has been to Wyoming. Uh, so anybody know where Douglas is by chance? One, two, three, four. All right, so we got a couple people know where Douglas, Wyoming is. Uh, Douglas, Wyoming is not a massive town at all, um, but it is where my wife and I live. Um, and uh, you need to pray for my wife. Uh, she, uh, she has to live with me. And uh, when uh, she signed up, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5, but when you sign up for, for marriage, I said sign up, but when you, get, uh, when you get married, you say those wonderful words, for better or for worse. And I feel bad because I feel like all I've given her is worse. Uh, I, took her, I, I took her out there, I end up getting cancer, and I will tell you right now, uh, the Bible says, he that, a man that findeth the wife findeth a good thing. She has been my backbone throughout this process. Dr. Monty was talking about my faith, but my wife is the one that had to burden all of the, she had to take all of the burdens of the children and place them upon her shoulders. My kids didn't want to cry in front of me. My kids didn't want to get upset, and they put all that on my wife. And I'm very thankful for a wife that stood by me through all of this. I'm very thankful for a, a woman that has uh, been supportive and loving and kind and gracious with me. And uh, I'm very thankful for her. And she's with me today sitting over here next to Mrs. Monty. And, uh, but if, if, as we look in the scripture here, and I, I just want to share a couple of different things. But in Romans chapter 5, and, and I want you to look at this with me really, really carefully, okay? Uh, it says here, starting in verse number 1, it says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this morning, or this evening, has anybody just felt that they haven't had peace before? Now, the Bible says we have peace, and, and to be honest with you, it's very human to, not, to have those moments where we're not feeling peace. But he says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So not the peace that we feel, but that peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand, now look what he says next, and stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Well, now, wait a second here. Isn't that a fun one? How many of us get excited about trials of life? I still do not, by the way. <laughs> I feel like it's been uh, a number of seasons for me, but this is not something that when a trial happens that I get very excited about. But we glory. So look what he says. We glory in tribulations. But look what, look what it continues to say. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given on us. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, thank you for this church and the stand that they take on the gospel and the, the, what they're doing to reach their community. And Father, I pray that you'd be with me now and help me to share your word, to present your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So, when I was a young man, Dr. Monty asked me to share my, my testimony, which I have to state, when I met Dr. Monty, I thought everybody called him Dr. Monty. I met him at a pastor's conference. He's shaking his head and said, no, no. I met him at a pastor's conference, and everybody, everybody called him Dr. Monty. And so, he never told me that other people don't call him Dr. Monty. So, for seven years, I've been calling him Dr. Monty. And then, and then the, here's the best part. I have him come. Now, I've been trying to figure a way of how to embarrass him, but I, I just can't do it in good conscience. Because what happened 
is when he came, so he comes out to speak at our church in Douglas, Wyoming. And he comes out to speak at our church, and, and everybody's excited to have Dr. Monty with us and preach and present them in, you know, and, and share the words and the, the beautiful gospel. And, you know, it's just Dr. Monty. Everything he says sounds so good, doesn't it? I trip up on my words. I'm not as educated. I, and I thank you to, to stay, sit with me through this time. But he comes out. And he's real nice, and he's, he's real personable with everybody. But then he does something that was just rude to me. I, I'm going to be honest with you all. It was just rude. See, the young man, Riley, here, he sang this morning. Wasn't that beautiful? Or wasn't that amazing? Beautiful guy, beautiful. Yeah, it, was a, it was a wonderful special. He has a talent that I don't have. He has the ability to sing. I don't have the ability to sing. So he comes up, and, and he asks me about singing a special, and, I, and my wife laughs, and she says, my husband can do many things. Singing is not one of them. Cats cry when I sing by myself. Okay? And so he gets up there. He's like, we're going to sing a special tonight. Would you sing with me? And all I thought was like, if Dr. Monty asks you to do something, you're supposed to say Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets, he gets at the, he, we get up there, and he starts singing, and my first thought was like, okay, maybe I can pretend, and I'll just sing a little bit lower than him, because he's got a very loud voice, and I, and I can just pretend, I'll lip sync my way through this thing, right? And uh, then he wants me to sing by my, he wants me to sing a whole, what do you call those things? Not, not chorus, verse, a whole verse. A whole verse all by myself. Last night, my wife found the video. She shared it with Mrs. Monty. <laughs> she said, oh, dear Jeremy. <laughs> it was bad. And then we live-streamed this thing. It was in front of the church. I mean, it was, it was terrible. It was so embarrassing. You know, and so coming here tonight, I can't do anything to embarrass him because I, I would feel bad to do that to my friend. <laughs> But he did ask me to share a little bit about my testimony. And uh, I, I, am a, I am a pastor out in Douglas, Wyoming, but I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, and and I, I'm a little bit jealous of parents that are raising their kids, or you know, kids that are growing up in a Christian home. I didn't have that experience. Uh, for me, um, you know, there was a lot of different things going on, and we were kind of away from Christ. My family never went to church. My dad is an agnostic. My mom was into Native American mysticism. And me, I was just a rough kid. I had a lot of problems. I had a lot of issues, a lot of anger issues. And uh, I was always getting into fights and different things like that. And, and so growing up was kind of just a normal, unsaved Christian home, I guess you could say. And then I found myself going into the Army, and then I found myself from the Army going to college. Now, what happened when I was in college was I discovered something called alcohol. I had never drank as a kid. It's just because of what I've seen happening in other people's lives. But now I get to college, and here I find myself drinking, and I found myself uh, falling really, really deep into that addiction. And I became a very, very bad addict. Now, there's some, now, and I'm going to make this statement, and I'm making it as honest and pure as I possibly can, and I'm, I mean truthful as I can. I have not yet met anybody that had more problems coming into church than what I had. I, I haven't met anybody that's giving me a hard, as a rough time as I did the pastor of that church that I started attending. I had a lot of issues. 
My issues, not only my issues, were very self-destructive, as most addictions are. I found myself uh, drinking more and more, and, and then I had people and friends that, would, you know, that, that I thought were bad coming to me and saying, hey, you have a problem, and me kind of just, no, you're the alcoholic, not me. I can quit any time that I want to. It's under control. It's fine. But I just choose not to quit. And what happened is, is things got so, point, so out of control to the point that I found myself homeless, living in the south side of Chicago. I had nothing. I had maybe $10 to my name. I had a duffel bag. And I had law enforcement officers coming to me saying, hey, listen, you need to get out of this town. You need to get out of this area. You are not going to survive if you stay here. What happened from that point is, is like I had almost destroyed my relationship with my dad, my mom, my sisters, my brother, all of my close friends all because I couldn't step away from alcohol. Not only was I involved in alcohol, but I also got involved in some various drugs. And the reason why I drank was real simple. I wanted to mask the pain of the life I was living. I was saved at the age of 12. I went to a small Baptist church in Harvey, Michigan. That's in the Upper Peninsula where I'm originally from. And in Harvey, Michigan, there was a preacher. And in that church, there was probably maybe six people in attendance. But a preacher got up there and faithfully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one troubled youth accepted him as Savior. But I didn't stay in church. I didn't stay going to that church. And I went a different direction. And I ran into more issues and more issues. And then to the point I found myself now that I don't know what to do with my life. And I'll be honest with you, I almost tried to end it. And then one day, a couple of friends that I met in college, Christian brothers, I called them out of a whim and I said, hey, I'm in trouble. And they said, meet us at this train station. I got on a train. So I scraped together some change. I got on a train from Chicago to Kalamazoo, Michigan. And, I, and they met me in there. They picked me up there. And uh, they moved me into their house. The part they didn't tell me is that they still live with their mom. I was living there for two weeks, and I asked them, I said, does your mom know that I'm staying here? And they said, "Ah, yeah, she knows. And about two weeks into it, I remember her name is Cheryl, just one of the most sweet, sweetest Christian ladies you can ever meet in your life. And Cheryl comes up to me as we're outside doing some things. She said, now, Jeremy, I got a quick question. How long are you staying here? (laughs) And I said, well... Uh, Adam said that I could stay as long as I wanted. I'm assuming he didn't say that to you. And she goes, no, but you're going to be okay. She showed me love. She showed me compassion. Did the house have rules? Yeah, it had a lot of rules. Did I still have problems? I still had a lot of problems. And then one day what happened is, is those two brothers, they took me to a church service. And at that church service, a faithful preacher got behind the pulpit and he talked about God's forgiveness. And he talked, about, he talked about how anybody can receive God's forgiveness. And what happened in that moment is I was sitting there, and I remember just feeling convicted. But not a bad conviction. Not like, oh man, I've really messed up, and now what am I going to do? But I just started feeling conviction of, you know what, I don't want this life anymore. I want something different. I, I, I want what the guy on the, on the podium, or up by the podium has. I, I want what some of these other people have. I, I want to feel free. I want to feel loved. I want to feel good about who I am. And then all of a sudden I I, I felt the small still, I just felt that small still voice. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It was just like the Lord was just saying, go forward. 
And I remember when I went forward and I repented and I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That was July 5th, 2003. And from that point, I ended up finding myself and, and I, I ended up finding myself going to church. And, and I'm going to be real honest with you. I went to a small, tiny church in the middle of nowhere, Michigan. Small, old, wood, and lath and plaster. Anybody, how many of us know what those kind of buildings are, right? It's the old lath and plaster. I didn't do anything. I went to that church, and the only reason why I went to that church was this one reason. My dad, who is agnostic and does not enjoy church, doesn't like church, doesn't want anything to do with God, he said these words, Son, if I ever go to church, it's going to be Pastor Lon Russell's church, because that is a real Christian. And in my heart, I knew if my dad liked that church, then that's the church I'm going to have to go to. And so I went to that church, and I went to that church, and I had a lot of problems. And I'm going to just be really, really honest with you. When I went to that church, I wasn't done drinking. I still thought that I could balance the both lives. I thought, hey, I can keep doing this and I can keep going down this road and if I just get cleaned up on Sunday, I'll be fine the rest of the week. And and it didn't work. It didn't work one bit. I found myself not only getting, you know, I found myself going to that church and learning and growing and getting excited and, and man, I remember hearing worship music. Praise, just hear, hearing, not, not praise and worship, but just that, that, that worship and singing the songs, just like we did this evening, this morning. It was awesome. It was hitting me, and it was, it was just such an amazing and wonderful and glorious feeling. And then I would leave church, and I'd feel bad about myself because I would start doing things that God didn't want me to do. And it became a problem. And finally, one day, I, I remember it was a Sunday morning, I said, you know what? I'm surrendering all of this, and I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm not engaging in this life anymore. I'm going to go forward in Jesus Christ. And then Friday happened. All my friends called me. You know, when you, when you tell your friends that you're going to live clean and they pressure you not to, they're not friends. I, and so I remember Friday happened. Went out, had fun. Saturday. Oh, I got away with that. It'll be fine. I went out Saturday. And I got... And I'm not trying to be too graphic, but Pastor Monty said that I could explain it. I got so drunk, I couldn't even get out of bed until noon the next day. And you want to know, here's the problem. I promised the pastor that I would be faithful to every single service. And I missed that morning. I felt so guilty, I thought God was going to strike me dead. I remember laying there in my bed. I remember getting up. I remember just walking around the house and pacing around the house. And I remember just feeling so guilty. And now the conviction of what I did and how wrong I was. I, not only did, listen, not only did I, listen, why, 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 why do people feel it's okay to lie to the pastor? Like, if there's anybody I'm going to lie to, it's not the guy that prays to God more than me. Amen? I was, I was like, I lied to him! Because to be honest... I didn't know much about faith, and I thought he was like a priest, and he was the direct voice of God. That's what I felt. Is that not how it works? No. Okay. Anyway, so I was, I was scared. I was nervous, and all these different things were happening. And so finally, I said, all right, God, I promise you, if you let me live for the next two hours, I will be in church for Sunday evening service. And Sunday evening service is when everything changed for me. I walked through those doors, a complete mess, still smelling of the weekend. I walked right up, I walked right into the back, right in the middle row. The pastor was at the pulpit doing some different things. 
he steps down, he steps down from the podium, he walks right over to me, and, he, and this is what occurred. This is what changed everything. He reached out his hand, he shook mine, and he said these words. We missed you this morning, but boy, am I glad to see you tonight. I'm going to go get some coffee. I'll be right back. That was it. Now, why it changed everything? Because I wanted him to judge me because I didn't want to come back. And I wanted to say, this doesn't work. And he didn't give me that. That's the last time I stopped missing church for addictions. I started serving the Lord. I started living for the Lord. I got involved in the, the jail ministry. I got involved in the prison ministry. I, we got involved in working with addicts and fresh coming out of that life and helping in different things. I had a different perspective than he had. And, and the ministry started to grow and go really well. And then God sends us to Wyoming. And out in Wyoming, you want to talk about fun. This is my first time out as a senior pastor. I'm all excited. I've been ordained. Everything's wonderful. It's great. Life is awesome. I was a youth pastor for 13 years. How old am I? I'm pretty old. But anyway, going on. And so, I, I listen, coffee makes your skin look better, okay? I'm just saying, right? So I go out to Wyoming, and, and it's awesome, and it's amazing. This is my first time as a preacher. First time being a senior pastor, the church was a small church of 11 people in a giant building. And they told me that they wanted a pastor that would go soul winning and bring people through the doors. And so I love soul winning. I love sharing the gospel. I went to the community. We started bringing people in. The church exploded. We went from 11 to 110 in less than a year. The people, the original members, decided that they didn't like all the new people. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and it came to the point where a legal battle ensued. Those 11 people, they, they got themselves a lawyer and different things like that. And they just, they came in one day and they wrote every single person off the, the membership roll. It became such a fight and a problem. You know, and, 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 I, and I'll be honest with you, I was, I was kind of worried about this because is this what I did wrong? <laughs> like, what did I do to create this situation? I was talking to preachers, I was talking to Dr. Dr. Mark Monty and, and all these different things, and, and people are telling me, I've never heard of this before. What is going on with these weirdos? Then Dr. Monty had this wonderful thing. He, wanted, he goes, you're going to write a book one day. You know how he talks? He's, you're going to write a book one day. I have the perfect title for you. The Wild Wild West with Baptists behaving badly. <laughs> I went, oh man, that's going to be a great book. You know, you're going to have to write it. You know, but anyway, so, and, and, and next thing you know, it got to the point where every single time I looked out my window, there was somebody from that, that membership that was stalking us. They were driving up and down our alley. They were, they, were, they were parked out in front of our house. They were parked on roads over here. I, I remember in one meeting, they decided to storm the service, and they came in, and it got so bad and so heated that my daughter looked up at an evangelist's wife. We're in the middle of a revival conference. My daughter looked up at my, 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 that evangelist's wife, and she said these words, Are they going to kill my daddy? From that point, I had to sit down with a prominent member in law enforcement. They called me into their office and said, Hey, Pastor, here's the thing. You've won the legal battle. But I need you to leave town out of fear of your family's safety. I'm not over-exaggerating how bad it got. I'm under-exaggerating, if anything, how intense and bad it got. 
but I'm a pastor. I got free from addictions. This was my dream. It's all falling apart and crumbling. But what did we read? Glory and what? Tribulations. You see, the concept that we have so often in life is that, that everything's supposed to be easy and amazing and, and I get saved and we, we do this and we do that and, and we're going to church and we're faithful to church and, and everything is supposed to be amazing and easy and blessed and abundant life. And then problems happen and we go, well, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe God doesn't love me. We end up leaving for about a few months and then another church in town, and I got to know them a little bit, and I got to know the senior pastor as I was going through the different trials, and that pastor called me. His name was Roy Phillips, and he said these words. He says, hey, I don't want to see what you started end. Would you come work with me? He goes, I don't want you to work for me. I want you to work with me. Because what you started here needs to continue. And I remember my family was in a bad spot. Remember, my wife, she signed up for better for, or for worse, and, and there's been a lot of worse. But she's still staying with me. She's still being supportive of me. She's still guiding me and helping me and, and, and you know, hey, helping me get things together. And, and I remember we were driving, and I just candidated a church in Massachusetts. Oh, man, I'm glad I'm not in that state. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I like my firearms. Wyoming's really awesome about firearms. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> you know, anyway, so we, I, I remember we were driving from that church, and, and it was a hard church to step away from, not because of the spirituality, but because I really love snowboarding. I do. <laughs> and right next to that church was one of the most majestic, beautiful ski resorts I'd ever seen in my life. It was beautiful. But I can't follow the flesh. I've got to follow the Spirit. <laughs> And so now we find ourselves, and we're, not only, we're driving away from that. My wife said these words, and she goes, you know, maybe God wants us to go back to Wyoming. You should call Pastor Roy and see if the offer's still available. I did. He said, yes. He said, get here now. We end up going. And from that point, the ministry started to go wonderful. Uh, I, 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 get to work in a, I get to work with addicts. I got to probation, I got into the county jail, and you want to know what they do at probation? They let me take people that are on probation and work just with me going to church to meet the requirements of probation. We, it, was, it was wonderful. Things were great. They let me take people from the jail and send them off to, to, to faith-based residential treatment programs. It's really weird when you get an order and it says, you know, this inmate so-and-so is being, you know, being released to the care of Pastor Jeremy Paradowski. Official court documents. Ministry was going great. Everything was going wonderful. I shot an elk. Anybody been elk hunting? Oh, what a wonderful feeling going out there and hunting one of those, those massive beasts. And things were going pretty good. And then one day I started to get a pain right about here. I was, I was actually, and I'm not, I'm not saying this braggy, I was just I was gearing up for a lifting competition with some of the officers. They wanted me to work with them and help me, and we started doing it, and, and all of a sudden I started getting a pain right about here. And that was about February of 2021. And I was like, huh, what's that about? I must have strained something, it's all right. And, and then it got to the point that, that, that I, I would walk, be walking and I'd have to go like this, because it hurt so bad. 
And then finally one morning I woke up and I was feeling a little bit better, but my wife is looking at me and she's got this horrified look on her face and she says, "Hun, we need to go to urgent care. And I said, why? I'm actually feeling a little bit better today. And she goes, yeah, well, you didn't hear you last night. She goes, you cried all night long in pain. We go to urgent care, and at urgent care, uh, the nurse comes in, and she's like, you know, doing all the checks. She goes, I, she goes this is appendicitis. But in order to verify that, we're going to have to get a CT scan, and then we can see what's going on. I says, all right, let's go do this. And so we went over, we had a CT scan, we go, back to, we go back to the office where she's at, and all of a sudden she comes in and she's white as a ghost. She had that mortified look on her face, and I already knew what she was going to say. Cancer. Why? Everything I've been through, everything going on, what I've overcome, what I've got to live through, and here I am, and now Cancer? Cancer? But not just cancer, but fourth stage cancer. And the doctor says it's advanced. And the other doctor says you maybe got two to five years to live. Why? What did we read? Glory and what? You see, problems come into our life. It's up to us how we face them. Amen? You see, we can either roll over and get upset and die. And, and I remember being at chemotherapy. I remember going through treatment. I remember seeing a lady that she could curl up. That lady was about as tall as me, but she was so withered away that she could curl up into a, right here and almost hide in the chair. She was so gone. And I remember the nurses looking at her saying, hey, you've got to eat something. You've got to drink something, please. And the one nurse says, hey, I don't care if it's a big gulp soda. You've got to get something in your system. And I'm sitting there going, that is not going to be me. That is not going to be me. I have children. I have a wife. I have a ministry. I'm going to fight this thing. What do I got to do to fight? They said you need to walk at least 30 minutes a day. I walked 30 minutes a day. I had actually walked 45 minutes a day. They said you got to stay active. I got active. But you're on chemo. It's wearing you down. I don't care. I'm going to fight this thing. I'm not going to let this kill me. I remember going to the hospital, or not oncology, and my cancer markers were starting to drop. What's a cancer marker? It gauges how much cancer is in your system. Fun fact, everybody has at least a trace amount of cancer inside their system. A trace amount being zero to four. When I was diagnosed and they did my numbers, I was at 2,500. The cancer markers started to drop during chemo. We go, we, go, we, go, we go into a, one of our appointments feeling pretty good about things, like, oh, man, cancer markers are dropping. I'm feeling better. I don't feel the pain from the tumor anymore. We go in there, and my, my oncologist sits me down and my wife down, and he tells us the good news. Look, they've dropped by another half percent, you know, or 50% again. This is wonderful. And we're like, oh, praise God. And the oncologist, he goes, but we've got to get on the same page about something real quick. And I said, what's that? You just said things are going good. And he goes, yeah, they are, but you're still going to die. That's exactly how he said it. He goes, the best I can give you is two to five, but you're going to die. Yay. I was with my wife, and I'm trying to not fall apart in this moment. And my wife, we walk out, and we started doing a little YouTube update video thing. 
Just it was so much easier to make an update on the, with a video and share that to the family instead of answering the, the hundred questions that kept coming every single day. And as we're walking out, and she's like, hey, I'm going to ask you a question right now. What do you feel right now? I'm going to tell you what I felt. Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men. And I, I said, you know what? If that doctor's right and I got five years, that's five years that I got to glorify Jesus Christ. That's five years that some people never got. That's five years that, that a mom, has never, some mothers have never gotten with their children. That's five years that my children will have with me. Extra. Some people don't ever get to see death coming. I have an opportunity to see what's coming now. And I, you know, I said, I am going to be a light the best I possible can for Jesus Christ because along this process, I'm going to meet nurses. I'm going to meet doctors. I'm going to meet other patients that don't know Jesus Christ. And I'm going to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am going to be a light. I'm not going to let this destroy my light because the worst that can happen is I'm going to be with him in heaven. Amen? I, if I pass, where am I going to be? I know the Lord is Savior. I'm going to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. What's so wrong about that? I'll be honest with you, I want to wait because I have kids. I have a wife. I have a ministry. I don't, I don't want to abandon those things. And along that process, somebody recommended the hospital, Cancer Treatment Centers of America. It was a lady in our, our church, and she said, you ought to look into this hospital. We looked into that hospital, and we noticed something right away that was different. They actually treated us well. They cared about us. They talked to us. My old oncologist, he would be in and out of that room so fast, unless it was to tell me I'm going to die. I'm not kidding. And so we, we went to that hospital, and we get there, and, and it was really, it was really, it was different. This, here's this doctor, he's talking to me, and he's, he's not only talking to things, but he's explaining and what drugs do and different things like that. And then this was the thing that happened. They said, you got to have surgery. And I said, where? They said, well, you remember the cancer in your liver? we got to cut that out. 60% of my liver is what they took in August. Did you know the liver regenerates? Yeah, it does. It's pretty cool. <laughs> the liver regenerates. And, and so they, they took 60% of my liver, and, and it's 100% regenerated. Now I feel like a, uh, like, a, like a mama. Got my baby right here. It's all good. It's working 100%. And here's the best part about all of this. You know what? I still thought I was going to die. I did. But I still had the mindset, if I'm going to die, then I'm going to give glory to God along this process. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to testify. I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. You see, in this portion of Scripture, you know what it says? Let's, let's look here real quick. In verse number 2, he says, By whom we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. I remember getting utterly convicted one morning as I was crying to myself and upset and the problems and the issues and all the different fears. And if I'm going to testify, this is what it's going to be. God convicted me of this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What am I supposed to rejoice over right now? I'm alive. My kids got to see me. 
My wife got to see me. I got to see them. That's a starting point to be thankful. Amen? I started praising God for those different things. And I, I started praising Him for just anything and everything. I'm thankful that I'm still breathing. I'm thankful that the floor is cold that I'm laying on that makes the tumor not feel so bad. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that, you know what, that, that I, can still, I can still see. I'm thankful that I can still hear. I'm still thankful that I can still smell. I just started praising God for anything and everything. And then things started to go well. Yeah, they took 60% of the liver. I remember my, onco- my new oncologist comes in, and he's like, hey, it grows back. <laughs> it's just how he said it. I'm like, doc, I'm, I'm missing like half my organs. And he's like, hey, it grows back. <laughs> just, he's a brilliant, a brilliant oncologist, though. And, and I remember, I, I remember the, you know, I was still nervous. I was still scared. I was still, still kind of, okay, this is what's going on. This is the situation. What am I going to do from there? And then all of a sudden... They tell me that, all right, the next surgery is coming. I just had this one. Listen, I got a massive scar. It's really cool. I'm not going to show it, obviously. <laughs> Doc Monty said, just get real. All right, no, no, I'm kidding. The scar goes from about here to here, all the way over here. My oncologist is like, man, they really had you open up. Yeah, I know, I can see it. <laughs> Felt it. Now I got to have another surgery. This is called a resection. So we're going to take where the tumor is inside the colon. We're going to cut that out and reattach everything. Yay. We're like, don't worry. You might only have to have a temporary colostomy bag. Yay. (laughs) That was sarcasm. (laughs) Not really excited about that. So we go down. We go down there and we 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 get to CTCA, Cancer Treatment Centers of America. We get to CTCA. And uh, my my surgeon comes in the the morning before. He says, Jeremy, I got to say something to you. And I still don't know how it's going to work out, but I, I, I just want to share something with you. And I said, yeah, what's going on, Doc? He says, I don't know if we're going to have surgery tomorrow. I said, why? <laughs> you know, why, why? Why not? I'm starting to have a panic attack. My wife's starting to have a panic attack. Why aren't we going to have surgery? What's, what are you talking about? What's going to go on? And he, says, and he says this. He says this. He goes, we might not have to. He goes, the more I look at your records, the more I think about things, I don't know if we're going to have to cut things out. Doc, I was 99% obstructed. You all had me on a, on a, I mean, a concoction of diuretics because I was, oh, I'm not going to go beyond that point. I mean, I had to go through all that. Now you're telling me that I'm not going to have surgery. I want the tumor out. My, I, I got a real simple mentality. If it's bad, get rid of it. Amen? I do not want this in me. And he says, I, he goes, well, we're going to have to have a, a colonoscopy. I won't explain what that is, all right? Uh, he said, we're going to have to do this. And I said, all right, let's get her done. Go in and I have one. I wake up. Anybody knows what it, how many of us know what it is to wake up from anesthesia? Isn't that fun? Right? My wife made a video of me professing my love for Dr. Monty. She won't delete it. <laughs> I don't remember it. <laughs> I love you, brother. You're so great and wonderful and such a great preacher. Oh, you're the best. Anyway, going on. So I'm waking up and, I, and I, you know, I'm sitting there and the first thing I want to know is, where's my wife? I need my wife. She's my safe space, my security blankie. And so they, they, finally I get to the point where I'm coherent enough that they can bring me through to where my wife sat. She's sitting in the room. I, I kind of sat there and brain's getting a little bit better. And all of a sudden, Dr. Vashi from CTCA comes in. He's about yay tall, Christian man, wonderful doctor. Walks in. He goes, this is cool. This is great. This is wonderful. 
And he goes on to proceed that the tumor's gone. The tu- <laughs> I think that deserves a little bit more of one amen. Amen, let's try that. Amen, the tumor is gone. I've seen this in movies. I mean films. But I never expected to live it or experience it. It's gone. What do you mean it's gone? My first question is, where did it go? <laughs> you know, is it in my kidney? What, I mean, did it decide to move, you know, change street addresses? What is going on? I'm kind of, what do you mean it's gone? And then he says these words. He goes, if I had not known you ever had cancer, I could not, or an issue with cancer, I could never tell there was an issue with cancer. He goes, you don't even have scar tissues. You don't have lesions. He goes, there's no evidence that cancer was ever inside your colon. Amen. Amen. Now I'm like, well, what does that mean? And he goes, it's real simple, Jeremy. He goes, you're probably not having surgery tomorrow. (laughs) He goes, but I'll let Dr. Hallaby make that choice. I go up and I'm talking to my surgeon. He comes in. He's like, so we're not going to have surgery. And he goes, he goes, I want you to understand something. I'm a surgeon. I love performing surgeries, but I'm not going to cut on you if there's no reason to cut on you. I said, that's great logic. (laughs) That's wonderful, wonderful logic. You know, when, when you get on the other side of a fire, after going through the fire, and you start looking back at all that God's done for you through that fire, you know, we miss things when we're in the midst of troubles, don't we? We miss the kindness of people. Somebody was kind to us, and we kind of, we don't think about that, because all we ever do is think about the bad. Well, this is bad, and that is bad. We, we, we forget that in Scripture. God didn't say it was going to be perfect and easy, but that we could find glory in these issues. What did I get to see? I got, I got to see God provide. I, I got to see God bless. I got to see God move mountains and perform miracles. I, got, I remember the very, one of the very first things that they said to me was this. They said, you need to expect to go $500,000 in debt. Minimum. Can I tell you something? You know, God took care of every single dime. I ended my cancer journey debt-free. God provided every penny. Not only did he take care of the tumor, not only did he preserve my health going through this, not only did he do all of those wonderful things, he even took care of the finances. Not only that, but God sent along some just sweet, wonderful people. They told me I can't have sugar anymore. Why? If you did not know, sugar is fertilizer for cancer. So I don't want sugar. I'm getting away from sugar. You need to stop having sugar. I got away from it. Lady in our church, her name's Amber. You know what she does to this day still? Every single week she cooks me a sugar-free dessert. And not, not, not the nasty kind. How many of us know what I'm talking about, right? Like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, the good ones. The ones that I could eat the whole thing in one setting. I mean, she just does that. I got to meet some wonderful people. I remember one time I was sitting there, and, and I mean, you want to talk about those moments where God just gives you a hug. I was sitting there for the very first time I ever did chemo. This first time I'm sitting down, I'm sitting in the chair. I'm scared out of my mind. A lady sitting next to me, she looks up and she says, hey, how are you? I says, well, it's my first round of chemo, so I'm a little bit nervous. She goes, oh, that's good. I'm ready to go home. I says, oh, wonderful. Where's home? She goes, heaven. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to die. <laughs> you know? 
And then, and then her and her, she gets talking to her friend across the way, and the friend's looking at me, and, and she's like, yeah, she goes, I got cancer. I'm probably going to die of it, too. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't, listen, I love you all, but I don't want to talk to you all right now. And, and then she's like, yeah, and she goes, oh, my son, he was 35. He died of cancer. And I'm just like, I, Lord, I do not need to be in this conversation. All of a sudden, my phone dinged. How many of us suffer from FOMO? Be honest, fear of missing out. Phone vibrates, you got to look at it. I totally use that as an excuse. Phone went off and I said, I'm sure this is important. I'm going to have to take it. (laughs) It was an email. Somebody sent a a PayPal donation to help out with finances. It wasn't much. But, you know, it wasn't the amount that really hit me. This is what hit me. There was a note attached. And it's exactly what I needed in that moment from the Lord. And the note said this. My brother-in-law just survived stage 4 colon cancer. God got him through it. He's going to get you through this. Our family and our church are praying for you. I don't even know who the lady is. I've never met her. I have no idea who she is, but God did that. What what does the scripture say? Look with me again in Romans chapter 5. What does it say? No, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. I'm standing in front of you tonight, and I'm glorying in what God did in my life. I, cannot, I still cannot believe all that he's done. Why would he do this for me? Why would he take care of me? Why would he preserve me? And, and it's really funny because I think like that now, but then when I was thinking, why would he allow this to happen to me? And then it changes. To the, why would he do this for me? And sometimes you just got to sit back and realize that God loves you and he cares about you. It's so, it's so fun to, 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 that, that when, when people forget how much God loves them. And it's not that kind of love of a distant parent that, that, that doesn't really care about their children, but it's that love of a parent that wants to protect their children. It's that love of that parent that, that wants to be close to their children, that love that God has for us, that, that, that abundant love that he showered, that, 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 that Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That, that massive outpouring, that's the love that God has for us. You know, but sometimes when we get into trials, we don't want to look at all that God's done for us. We just want to get down on ourselves. Do you know trials aren't always for us, but for others? I was preaching at my church, and I got done with, done with preaching, and uh, it was one of those moments, and you want to talk about a fun experience, Dr. Monty. When I got done with surgery, I was on opioids. Not addiction, but they had given them to me for the pain, right? And so my, I wasn't really used to these things, and things were kind of weird. But the church wanted me to preach a sermon. <laughs> it was awesome. I don't remember it. <laughs> they all had fun. I was, I was literally at the pulpit with a walker, right? Amen. But that was awesome. That was really, really cool. I felt really cool. I had this giant brace wrapped around me and all kinds of cool stuff. And I don't remember what I said, but it was fun. But hey, <laughs> so any, anyway, so it was, you know, but I remember I got done preaching. And a young teenager came up to me as I was going out the door. And she handed me a note. I got home and I read that note. In that note, she explained her life and what she's been through and the problems and the issues. And for public reasons, I will not share what she wrote because of it was pretty rough. But at the bottom, I remember this. 
She goes, after seeing the joy that you've displayed in the midst of fighting cancer, and just to see what God has done for you, she wrote these words, I know God loves me, and he's not done with me. Sometimes the trials aren't for us. Sometimes God brings us through a trial so that others can see our faith. You know, my dad, not a Christian man. He's not a Christian man. But if I'm going to be real honest with you all right now, he's my hero. My last name is Paradowski, but it's not my birth last name. That's my adopted last name. I'm actually Irish and Indian, not Polish. Native American, and I remember my dad took me in when he was 19 years old, and I was about five years old. Not many 19-year-olds would take that kind of responsibility on their shoulders, but he did. And he raised me the best he could. He loved me the best that he could. He provided for me the best that he could. That man sacrificed his finances, his freedom, to raise two kids, me and my sister, that he had no attachment to, but he just saw they needed help. But he won't praise God. He's still bitter. He's still upset. And you want to know what happened the other day? He sent me a text message. And he said, son, don't get worried. God's not done with you yet. You've got to understand something right now. That right there is a mountain. That is a mountain. I said to my wife at the beginning of all this, if my dad comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior as well to me getting cancer, it was worth it. So often we're so focused on ourselves in the midst of these issues and problems and we get so worked on ourselves and why is this happening to me and what is going on here and, and I, I, why would God allow this to happen? You, you know, why would he put three young Hebrew men in front of you know, King Nebuchadnezzar? Why would he throw Daniel into the lion's den? Why would he throw Joseph into the prison? Why would he allow those different things to happen? Do you understand that he's not a respecter of persons and God doesn't look at them and say, hey, you know what, I love those guys. I'm going to put them through this trial so that I can use it in Scripture and I can use their life for my glory. No, he looks at us all that way. He looks at us all as, you know what, I just want you to glorify me. I care about you. I love you. I want you to, to, I want you to exalt my name. I want you to praise me no matter what's going on in your life. And it's very easy when the bank account is full to praise the Lord. It's very easy when the doctor says, all clear, you're good to go. It's very easy to praise the Lord. But what about when life is falling apart and there doesn't seem like there's any light? Can we praise God? He says to glory in tribulations. He says, hope maketh not ashamed. Can, can we look at the hope of all that is done? Do you understand that the, 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 the hardest obstacle that ever needed to be completed on this planet is already done? Salvation. Jesus Christ has already died and been resurrected next Sunday. The majority of Americans in the United States of America, the majority of Christians in America are going to be celebrating the resurrection. It's not Easter, it's resurrection. Amen? The tomb was empty. He was gone. He was risen. Amen? That is the hardest obstacle we would ever have to face. Death in heaven or death in hell. 
I'm sorry, life in heaven or death in hell. And God took care of heaven for us. He took care of the debt that we owe. I don't owe anything anymore because of Jesus Christ. And yet we get so upset because, oh, I know God did that for me. I know that I'm saved. But does he really want to heal me? I know that God took care of that, but does he really want to provide a job for me? I know all that God has done, but does he... Yes. Christian, yes. Yes, he does. You see, the reality is, is, is God... I, I, I'm going to finish on this. God's love gives us power. Amen? Listen, God's love gives us power. He, he, gives us, he gives us the ability to stand in the midst of the storms of life. He gives us the option to be able to stand and experience His greatness if we let Him work. I think it's 1 Chronicles 19.13 says, Let the Lord do that which is good in His sight. Doctor comes in and says, It's cancer. You know what? I'm going to praise the Lord. Tuesday, i got to go for my, my, my first checkup, first official checkup. You know, they could tell me things aren't good. Or they could tell me things are all good. But I've already determined in my heart, and I'm going to walk away and I'm going to praise Jesus Christ. They could tell me, you know what, we're going to have to do a, a couple rounds of chemo. You know what I'm going to do? Praise Jesus Christ. I'm going to glorify my Father. I'm going to, I'm going to praise Him to the nurses. I'm going to praise Him to the staff. I'm going to praise Him to other Christians. I'm going to praise Him in church. I'm going to praise Him to my family. All right, so what if he says things are all good? I'm going to do the exact same thing. I have determined no matter what the doctor says, I am going to have the same answer. I'm going to praise my Father which is in heaven. Because I know this. There's some moms that have never got to hug their kid at 42 years of age. There's some fathers that never got to see their sons grow up to be 42 years of age. There's some children that have never seen their dads get to grow to the age of 42. Mine have. I will praise him. What if God takes you home? Well, I guess it's heaven. Man. I guess I won't have to live anymore. The weirdness of... I, I don't know what I'm allowed to say. <laughs> the politics. The pandemics. <laughs> you know, like, I don't have to live through that anymore? Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I had a really good thought, though. You see, if I do got to die, I don't want to die in a hospital bed withering away. In Wyoming, we got these really neat things called grizzly bears. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I got a plan. If I got to go out, I'm going to go up and smack one. <laughs> that way my kid's got an epic story to tell about their dad, Right? <laughs> How'd your dad go out? Oh, he had cancer, and he went and wrestled a grizzly. He lost, but it was cool. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> no, I'm not taking any knives or anything. No, I'm telling you, just single-handed. We got this thing. Being saved gives us access to God's grace. Amen? This grace gives us the ability to stand and rejoice in the midst of the storms of life. Amen? I want to read that one more time. Being saved gives us access to God's grace. This grace gives us the ability to stand and rejoice amid the storms of life. If you're saved, there's literally nothing in this world that the devil can throw at you to, to hinder God's work in your life. 
unless you allow it to. Unless you allow the addiction to take hold. Unless you allow the worry and the doubt to take hold. There's literally nothing he can throw at us because we choose to hold on to those things. What if you get a bad diagnosis? I don't know. Praise God. Go forward. Do what you got to do to fight. What if God takes my life? It's heaven. I know. Uh, that's not what we always want to think, and we always want the, the positive, but we can't control the problems. We can just control how we go out. Amen? And I'm going to choose to rejoice and praise Him. And I'm going to praise Him, and I'm going to tell you exactly why I'm going to praise Him right now, because I don't deserve the wife I have. I don't deserve the five beautiful children that I have. I don't deserve the life I have. I don't deserve anything that I have in my life right now. Why? Because I'm a sinner that deserves hell. But as a result of God's grace, I'm a child of His that gets to go to heaven. And every good thing that He has brought into my life is a result of His mercy and His grace. So I will praise Him. I have had a good life. And I'm thankful for the life that I have. Have I had trials and have had struggles? Yeah, I shared some of those trials. I've shared some of those struggles. Were they rough? Were they hard? They were absolutely rough and hard. But every single time I go through a trial, there's so much more good on the other side of it. The church situation. Do you realize I got to a better church, a church that loved addicts and wanted to help me do what I'm doing? The cancer situation. I've gotten to meet some amazing people. I've got some amazing doctors. I've got to share the gospel. People have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Why? Because God brought a trial, and I'm not going to let it hurt me. I'm not going to let it ruin me. I'm going to praise him as a result of it. Addictions. You know what addictions brought me? A heart to reach those that are struggling in addictions. Every single time a trial has come, God has shown himself strong in my life. So I will praise him. Well, what about this? I will praise him. What if this? I will praise him. Don't get discouraged in the trials. I don't know what everybody's going through. I don't know the problems, the issues. I don't know what anybody here is going through. I just know this. There's a God in heaven that loves you. And he cares about you. And he wants to bless you. And he wants to help you. And he wants to carry you through this. Draw close to him. Praise him. Realize that some of the things that happen in our life aren't to make us weak, but as the scripture says, to make us stronger. What does he say? In patience, experience, and experience hope. Don't get discouraged in the trials, but trust that God will use it for his good. What is the promise again, Dr. Monty? All things work together for good. To them that love God, I'm going to love him, I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to trust everything happening in my life is for the glory of his kingdom. Let's bow our heads. Dr. Monty.